All right, Trinity Church, it is great to see you. How are you doing on this Mother's Day? Good. I am so glad to be with you today. We missed you last weekend because we were at the college graduation of that young lady you saw up here last week. Aaliyah graduated from William Jessup University. And it was a great time. My wife, as she was chatting with me before the service, she said, uh, did, you put, did you have a picture that you could show of her and our family? And I'm like, that would have been an awesome idea. <laughs> but that is the Mother's Day photo that I put on my Facebook and Instagram this morning. So if you want to see what it was like for Ali to graduate, just check out my Facebook or Instagram account, and you're welcome to see that. We were so excited. Just having our family all together, like many of you know, is very challenging as kids get older and move on with life. And so we were just celebrating on all kinds of fronts last Sunday. We miss you. Hilke did an amazing job continuing in our John series, which we're going to do. If you have a Bible, you can find your way to John chapter 6. But as you're doing that, moms in the room, stand up, please. We would like to thank you for being who you are. Oh, don't sit down. Don't, 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 don't sit down. Don't sit down. And normally I like to reverse things and have us stand and give you a standing ovation, but I need you to stand for a reason because I would love to honor every one of you with this, but I just have one. So that's what we'll do. Do this, stay standing if your birthday, your, so we talk now from Mother's Day to birthday, if your birthday's in the month of May, stay standing. If not, go ahead and take a seat. All right, that whittled it down pretty good. Okay, so we've got a few. So this is the next thing I'd like you to do. I wanna find out, so it looks like we have four, five standing. So I'm trying to find the person whose birthday is closest to today, May the 9th. So let's hear some birthdays, yours? 27th in the back? 15, okay, stay standing. 7th, oh, two days ago, yes? 30th and? Oh! Wait, go, if, unless your birthday's on the 7th, sit down. Now, wait a second. Seriously, seriously, in the back this morning, as we were talking, I said, I've got a thing I'm going to do for moms that there's no way I'll get a tie. It's just about right. I want you to do this. See me after the service. I have this for you. This is $20 at Nothing Bunt Cakes. I will get one for you as well. I have one in the back, okay? Ah, Todd, right? Yep. Yep, 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 yep. Just about right. Next service will be an IOU. It'll be awesome. So, all good. Well, here's what I want to do today. We're going to continue in our series, but as we do, as we, and we really want to make much of moms today, but I want to say this. I know that Mother's Day, as equally a time of joy and gratitude, can be a really challenging day. Today is a very challenging day if this has been the first milestone, especially, of your mom's passing. I experienced that six years ago. I was sharing with someone this morning that my mom passed in March, <clears throat> and just two months later was Mother's Day. So we know this is a hard day for you. Some of you, it's a hard day because there's a lot of tension. Maybe tension in the relationship between you and your mom, maybe tension in the relationship as a mom with her kids. Today is hard. Or others of us, it's that whole sense of, you know what, I have wanted to be a mom for so long, and I've just not been able to. 
Those are challenging things. So we get that. And we enter that in with you today. And we want you to know that you are so loved. And we get that today has a lot of that kind of just stirring up of emotion that isn't awesome. So we're grateful that you're here today. And we want to tell you that we love you as well. We're continuing in this series today, and we're talking about this idea of conspiracies and adversaries and unbelief. It kind of paints an interesting picture of these five chapters, John 5 to John 10, in a way that kind of causes us to kind of go, ugh. But what was interesting, as we were even talking earlier today, is that's what's going on as Jesus is revealing himself as the Messiah, We see some of the most powerful teaching in all the Bible, some of the most revealing teaching in all the Bible, that Jesus is exactly who we have come to know him and believe him to be, and what the rest of the New Testament talks about, the anointed, holy one of God, the Messiah. Today, what we're going to see is a crowd who had previously had their bellies filled, and they're coming back for more. And Jesus is going to tell them, you need to look to things. You need to set your heart. Just like we sang about a couple of minutes ago, we were saying, I've set my heart on you, God. You're in, Jesus is the new horizon. I'm setting my line, my gaze of vision on that. Jesus is going to tell the crowds, you need to aspire to something better than lunch. We're also going to see the Jewish religious leaders begin to again stir the waters. And what we're going to see is more and more a growing adversarial posture. But really what I want you to see today, and this is, I told our group this morning as we were talking about the service today, I really want to keep encouraging you week after week in these five chapters to keep putting yourselves in the sandals of the people that you rightly identify with the most. Jesus' disciples, because that, for those of you who put your faith in him, that is who you are. And so I want you to track that today, and I, I want you to see what they have come to understand about Jesus, is that while the crowds are seeking another meal, they are seeking Messiah. That as the crowds are seeking to have their bellies filled and looking for another lunch, they're looking for eternal life. That is who you are. And so I want you to resonate with that today as as Jesus is revealing himself, I want you to be so grateful because that's the Jesus you've come to know. Here's our now what statement in your notes and on the screen. Rejoice that you have believed in God's son and that eternal life in him begins now. Rejoice that you have believed in the son of God and that eternal life begins now. Number one in your notes, the crowds were seeking more meals, not the Messiah. The crowds were seeking more meals, not the Messiah. We pick it up in John chapter 6, verse 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. 
Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, colon, like here's the textbook answer, to believe in the one he sent. So we began this journey in John chapter 6 a couple of weeks ago. We saw that the crowds had recognized that Jesus is the miracle worker, and they're following him out because they want to see more. They're bringing, we saw in all four Gospels, right, the only miracle in all four Gospels depict is Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. In one of the Gospels, they were bringing their sick, they were bringing their, those with infirmities that he would heal them too. They ended up during the day getting hungry and Jesus feeds 5,000 men. We believe the crowd was much bigger. It was probably more like 20,000 people. That's a catering company, right? That's crazy. That's what Jesus did. Then Hilke last week looked at this idea that Jesus sends the disciples away, goes up to a quiet place to pray. Jesus sends them into the storm, but then meets them there. And that's the power of what we unpacked last week. They get to, I love the way that, that miracle finishes. Another miracle, by the way, Jesus doesn't walk on water in terms of just like what everybody else does. And it says immediately when he got into the boat, they're at the other side. I just wonder how crazy that would have been in the storm and everything going on and Jesus gets in the boat, it becomes still. But then the fastest motor boat on the planet somehow ignites their boat to get across the lake. Pre-electric engines, gasoline engines. That's awesome. And that's the ride that they were in for. Well, today we pick it up now on the end of that. And we've kind of come back full circle to this group that is looking for Jesus. And we're going to find today, he calls him out in what we just read. Because lunch yesterday was awesome, lunch today is even better. So that's what they're looking for. And Jesus has gone with the disciples to the other side of the lake. Took it, take a look at the map. This is the map that Hilke used last week. And this is Capernaum, which we just read about. So noted, they were on the other side of the lake. Exactly where, I don't think it's as easy to know, but it's really clear they crossed the lake to Capernaum. And that's where the crowds now have followed him too. Now it's interesting, they say, Jesus, when did you get here? And rather than answer their question, Jesus kind of lets that aside, and it's interesting, if they really wanted to know, the disciples would have something to say about that. Well, you should have seen how he got here. But instead, he moves to something different. He calls out their motives for a crowd that's only being interested to follow him now because he fed them lunch yesterday. He tells them to aspire to more than the hunger in their stomachs, but the hunger that's in their souls. Notice the precision of his words. He says, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Now, when I was studying in this passage, I initially thought, Jesus, are you confused? They did see a sign. They saw an amazing thing that, they, that you did, and they ate the result of that sign. But then I began thinking backwards and going, wait a second, though, that's not it. That, that's, this is a different motivation. Go back to John chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far side of the, of the Sea of Galilee. So that's on the map. That's the other side. 
the far side, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and watch, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. So the initial group, maybe even the same crowd, they initially came to see Jesus because he's the way maker. He's the miracle worker. But this second excursion now to cross back over the lake has nothing to do with seeing the power of God. It has all to do with I would love to never have to order takeout again. So that's what's going on here. The motive has changed. Jesus notes it. And it wasn't this idea of Jesus being awed over his power over disease and sickness. It's instead a different type of purpose. Notice that Jesus doesn't withhold his kind of lasting food that he talks about. He says he'll give it to them. He's not being stingy. He's not being difficult. He's not holding it over their heads. He's making it available. And look at why he's able to do that. We just read this. For on me, changing out that word, on me, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Look in your notes. To seal signifies ownership. It signifies ownership and the full security carried by the backing or the full authority of the owner. Sealing in the ancient world would have served as a legal signature which guarantees the contents of that which is being sent or uh, being sealed. So what Jesus is saying is the Father has signed off on who I am and what my mission is and my purpose for coming to the world. I come with his backing. That's what he's saying. I have his seal, his signature of approval. Look at the religious approach. I want you to catch this. The religious approach and the posture that the crowds take. Listen to what they ask. What must we do to do what is required by God? What do we do? Now, there are worse questions they could have asked. They could have said, what must I do to please myself? That's that's even a worse question. But this question is interesting because it betrays something. When the crowds say to Jesus, what must we do to do the things that are going to be pleasing to God, the things that will make us right with God, what it's betraying is a lack of humility. It's betraying this sense of God, if we could, or Jesus, if we could just do enough, then we would be right with God. What do we have to do to do the works of God? Now, they had been trained to think that way. Because that's what the Jewish religion was all based on. It was based on not necessarily trying to work your way to God, but demonstrating that you can't. And just bringing band-aid sacrifice after band-aid sacrifice, recognizing that nothing can change this heart. I'm a mess. That's what the law was meant to demonstrate. Romans tells us clearly. But they were trained to think of this idea, what can we do This is the essence of religion, humanity reaching up to God and trying to be good enough. But hear this today, the essence of the gospel is based on grace and mercy of a loving God who reaches down to us and who makes us right with him, makes us holy and acceptable. Watch, not based on what we can do, but based on what he's done. That's the good news. I love Jesus' response when he says these words that to many of us seems to go, yeah, that's it. That's the crux of the matter. But for so many others, it's the conflict. Why? Because it's too easy. 
That seems too easy to just believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and and that makes me right. There's something I should have to do. Look in your notes. Putting one's belief in Jesus, it does actually include something that we do. It requires a degree of both humility. Humility saying, I admit that I cannot be good enough to be acceptable to God no matter how hard I try, but as well as a different kind of work than religion offers, the work of faith. The work of faith. There is an active response to the gospel. It's not passive and just changing your mind about something. It influences every aspect of our lives. So please don't think the gospel's easy, but please do understand the gospel is simple. Look at that line one more time. The work of God is this. He boils it down to believe in the one he has sent. Number two in your notes, Jesus came to meet our greatest needs rather than our version of them. Jesus came to meet our greatest needs rather than our version of what we think they are. John chapter six, verse 30. So they asked him, this is the crowds and back in the conversation, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, watch this, I am. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I want you to notice the choice of words that the crowd uses. It's fascinating to me because what it demonstrates is they're actually using the word as John has intended. We've said all throughout this gospel, John the gospel writer, is that he's using signs so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing might have life in his name. He's using these signs as evidence to say, you got to do something with this guy. He's not a normal rabbi. He's not just a good teacher. He's something infinitely different. But it's interesting, the crowd uses the same word. What sign are you going to do that's going to make us believe in who you say you are? They actually are using the word the very same way that John uses it. And this is, in essence, what they're saying. It it kind of brings me back to that 80s gym. What have you done for me lately? It's kind of what it's about. This is what they're saying. Lunch yesterday was great. Really, Jesus. But lunch every day would really put it over the top. Kind of like how our ancestors had it in the desert. That's in essence a summary of what they've just said. That was awesome yesterday. Every day, ooh, baby. Now, can I tell you something? They have really poor memories. Their ancestors were not super excited about bread every day in the desert. Numbers chapter 11, verse 4, the rabble, this is a powerful word, the rabble with them, meaning the grumblers, the complainers, they began to crave other food. Again, the Israelites started wailing. They started acting, having a temper tantrum. Moms have two-year-olds in the room. This is what your two-year-old does. 
flipping out, falling on the ground, squirming around, screaming for something. This is what they were doing. Wailing and said, if we only had meat to eat, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic, but now we have lost our appetite. There's nothing good. Look, we never see anything but this manna. So the crowd has a bad memory. And Jesus tells them, you're not the former slaves headed to the promised land. And I, watch this, I am not Moses. I'm something infinitely different. Hebrews will tell us something infinitely better. And he says that what I have come to bring to you, this bread of life, it's not just for you, but it's for the God so loved the world. John chapter three. That's who this bread is for. It begins with you, but it surely does not end there. Think of the giveaway that um, I gave to both ladies a moment ago. Imagine today's Sunday, Mother's Day, awesome, and they get these great gift certificates for nothing but cakes, and they're going to cake it up, whether it be today or this week, whatever. But imagine that they both come back tomorrow to the church office, and they come on in and they go, is Pastor Todd here? And our receptionist says, sure. And, and I come up to the front and they go, man, that was great yesterday. What have you done for me today? Is there more cake? And, and what if these wonderful ladies' attitude was, and, and that's what I'm going to do every day. I'm going to keep coming back to the church and expecting cake. Can I tell you, that'd be bad for a lot of reasons. Number one, that's not a good dietary plan. As much as some of us have tried that one, not a good dietary plan. But number two, pastors are called to something different than being cake dispensers. We're called to shepherd. We're called to lead. We're called to teach. We're called to pray. We're called to love. We're called to counsel. We're called to correct. Those are things that pastors do, and I would make a case that it's infinitely better, not putting down cake dispensers, but it's infinitely better that I do that job then keep giving out cake. Here's the point, how much more of Jesus? How much more significant of Jesus than to be the lunch provider than to be the soul provider? He knows it, they don't. The crowd's response at this point, by the way, it sounds very similar to us. Jesus, lunch every day, let's do that. It sounds very similar to the responses that people like Nicodemus in John 3 and the woman at the well in John 4 had. In this case, they're saying, Jesus, lunch yesterday was awesome, but yes, more and more and more. Let's just make you our lunch guy. Huh? The woman at the well, Jesus, I would love to have this living water so I don't have to come back here every day and draw it. Give that to me. Nicodemus, what? Born again? You mean go back into my mom and do that over? And by the way, that is the most poignant Mother's Day thing I could say today. <laughs> and every mom here would say, well, if that was the way that eternal life happened, nobody's getting it. <laughs> so you can tell as Jesus is conversing with them right over the top, they don't get it. And what we've said all the way through is we've said Jesus never pounds on that. 
We said Jesus never is angry about the fact that they don't understand. He's patient, he's kind, and he keeps working with them, keeps talking with them, keeps sharing. You know what was interesting about them? That was interesting about every one of us? Is that they were spiritually dead. Look at this, Ephesians chapter 2, a poignant passage for me. Verse 1, as for you, Paul writes to the Ephesian Christians, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, Paul says all of us, and all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Watch, like the rest, we were by nature object or deserving, I'm sorry, we were by, I memorized this in a different translation. We were by nature deserving of wrath. The Bible makes it clear every single human being is born spiritually dead on arrival. The crowds were no different. They could not understand and look at why they also not only were spiritually dead as they didn't have the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives to interpret what Jesus meant. Second Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. What we have received, Paul writing to the Corinthian Christians, is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Watch, why? So that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Watch this. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them, equates them, thinks of them as foolishness, and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Look in your notes. The people in your relational worlds who've not yet responded to the gospel are not unintelligent, they're dead. Do not miss that. The people in your relational worlds are not unintelligent. I grew up in churches thinking that was the issue. If you just knew more, if you just knew more, then you would respond to Jesus like I did too. And then I'd have to go back and realize at five years old when I committed myself to Christ, what did I know? God loved me and I didn't want to go to hell. That was about it. It was not about information. It was not about intelligence. It was all about the spirit of God at work in my life. And every single person you're interacting with in your relational world who's not yet put their faith in Jesus, that is true of them. So how do we pray? God, my friend, my neighbor, my son, my daughter, my loved one, my boss, my classmate, would you awaken them? Would your Holy Spirit quicken them? Would you do something so that they could respond? Because spiritually dead people, you can do all kinds of things at them, but they will always be unresponsive. It is only when the Spirit of God begins to work that they begin to awake. And that's, that's how we pray. That's what we are all about. God, do a work.
Some of you have such amazing stories in this room of that contrast, of what it was like pre-Jesus and how the words of Scripture, just like the woman at the well, just like Nicodemus, just like the crowds, just kept going over your head. What is this nonsense? Until the Spirit of God began to break you, until God brought you to the end of yourself and you realized who he was and how much he loved you and how much you needed him. You agree with the hymn writer, I was blind, but now I see. That's that's what we pray for. Here's the great news. The crowds are confused. We're gonna see today the religious leaders are angry But I said to you earlier today, whose sandals do I want you in? I want you in the disciples. It's been powerful to me, and I'm going to keep bringing this to you every week in this series. I've read John chapter 5 through 10 with new eyes. I think I used to read it, and I would see Jesus, what seemed like frustration or what seemed like, man, why won't they get it? I used to read this passage through the lens of being someone in the crowd but I'm not. I'm one of the 12. The crowd was hungry. The 12 were passing out the food. The crowd don't get it. They're looking for meals. The 12 are looking for the Messiah. That's what is different when you read John 5 through 10. Don't read it like the crowd. Because if you put your faith in Jesus, you're not them anymore. He is not saying things you don't get, you're saying, yes, that is the truth. Yes, that is the life. Yes, he is the way. That's, it resonates with you and it should. Don't worry about the crowds and their lack of faith. Don't worry about the conspiracies that are gonna begin spinning out. Don't worry about the adversarial attitude of religious leaders. Instead, enjoy the revelation that Jesus gives. And once again, bask in the sense, Jesus came for me. And I am so glad. When Jesus writes to the crowd, he's not writing to you. And I love, Hilke set us up really well last week when he said, Jesus out on the water, waves are everywhere. Ego I me. I am. There's gonna be a host of incredible, powerful I am statements now moving through the book of John. And this is the next one. I am the bread of life. My first year at Trinity in the spring, we taught on that exact thing, the I am statements of the book of John. I was thinking back, I looked at my old notes from now four years ago, and I looked at my notes and I realized that morning I was so mean. Had a wonderful lady baking bread in that kitchen right there. And you walked in the room, oh man, I am hungry. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. What I came to bring is gonna do far more than something for your stomach. It's gonna give you life forever. Number three, in your notes today, you'll never be lost if you're one of Jesus' own. You'll never be lost if you're one of Jesus' own. John chapter six, verse 36. But as I told you, 
He's going back and forth to the crowd. As I told you, you have seen me and still you don't believe. You've seen enough of the signs. All those the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. You're safe. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is that will. This is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son believes in him. That should be reminiscent of something in John chapter 3 for you. And they shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. That should sound like something from John chapter 5. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? I hope you find the first part of what we just read in this part of John 6 today as a follower of Jesus incredibly comforting, incredibly encouraging because Jesus has said he came here looking for you and he's going to find you and he's never going to lose you. Man, that should do something to your soul. That should do something that causes you a deep sense of encouragement, a deep sense of just confidence, of wrapping your arms around some truth today. Jesus, you came looking for me. Jesus, you found me. And Jesus, you're never going to let me go. That's the truth of this passage today. And it should resonate in such a powerful way. One of my favorite passages was penned by one of the disciples nearby in earshot of this conversation. His name was Peter. And what did Jesus begin with? You have seen me, but you don't believe. I've given you everything you need related to signs, related to information, related to proving who I am, but you still resist. Peter, one of those who did put his faith in Jesus, one of those who would later lead the church, he penned some amazing words about people like you and me who would never get to see Jesus with our own physical eyes. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Watch this. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. A few of you have come to me from when we talked a couple weeks ago in John chapter 5 about how impressive it was to realize that eternal life begins now. Sometimes we think it's by and by. And that that's going to be when eternal life begins. But we saw it a few weeks ago in John chapter 5 that Jesus says it begins now. It will go on into eternity, way past when your physical body dies, but it begins today. These words that Peter writes said the same thing. For you are receiving present active participle. Right now, in real time, having had put your faith in Christ, you are now receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's happening in this moment. Jesus goes on to speak about his mission that the Father sent him to accomplish. He's given him some. By the way, he, Jesus didn't say, he's given me all. 
We're going to see next week that demonstrated very clearly. He's given me some. Some who will respond in faith to me, and I will not lose any one of them. It's interesting, the negative phrase, he uses a powerful phrase, I will never drive them away. That's meaning to say it's like a double negative. It's just the opposite. I will gladly welcome them in. I've come to obey and follow my Father's will, not my own. And here's what that objective is, that I would lose none that he's given me, but raise them up on the last day to eternal life. We said this earlier when I said that should remind you of something. Go back to what we looked at now a couple months ago, John 3. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. We must look upon him in faith that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. That's where the gospel, that's where faith and and gospel connect is the risen, seeing the Jesus risen up on the cross and believing that was done for you. John chapter five, verse 28, do not be amazed at this for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out, watch. Those who have done what is good will rise to live. We said it then, we said it again today. Jesus doesn't mean those who've done what is good, meaning they were super moral, super religious, kept their noses clean. What do you say today? This is what it means to do the will of the Father, believe in the Son he sent. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. And today in our passage, we see this theme one more time of the now, beginning now, eternal life. We read it a minute ago. Everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him, watch, shall have eternal life, a present active subjunctive verb, meaning something that's happening now that has long-term implications. You are receiving the result of your faith now. I wonder if he was reminiscing. It's powerful in my Bible reading. I was just reading through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John a couple weeks ago, and I just realized, wow, How powerfully rich are these themes from the Gospel of John? All brought out, but in a different way. John's kind of depicting with some commentary the story of Jesus in the Gospel of John. But in 1 John especially, he's saying, now to those of you who are his disciples, who have believed, let me remind you of what we saw there. And I think one day he might have been reminiscing Jesus with now the crowd who's come back a second time for lunch number two. I think he was thinking about those that day who would choose faith and not just lunch. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you. Sounds very similar, 1 John, or John chapter 20, verse 30. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. I write these to those of you who have put your faith in him. I write to disciples so that you may know you have eternal life. I write these things so that you might know that you might know that you might know. I write these things so that you would know, that you would know, that you would know that you have eternal life because you put your faith in the Son of God. In your notes, because you've responded in faith to the salvation, to the bread of life that Jesus offered to you, you can have confidence that the gift of eternal life is yours and that it begins now. Man, that should cause you rightly today to walk out of here encouraged. No matter what trough you're going through, what valley you're crawling through today, you can know that you know that you know that you have eternal life and it begins even in the midst of the storm. 
It's still going on. The very last words we read today where Jesus is what we're going to see, his adversaries begin to mount up. And it's interesting. We don't have time to get to it today. We'll get to it in the future. But it's interesting to see where it comes from. How could he be this one who's come from heaven? Meaning, how could he have come from some way that seems so bizarre and unknown to us? We know his parents. What did Jesus say? A prophet in his hometown never has honor. And they're using a very, again, just they don't get it. He's talking about their father. When Jesus is talking about his father, he's not talking about Joseph. But again, hard hearts, mute hearts, dead hearts that don't understand spiritual truth. But as for you this week, would you rejoice that you have believed in God's son, that eternal life in him begins now. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today as a people who are so grateful that your word would communicate so much, not just truth, but encouragement, that we can know that we know that we know that we are yours, you will never leave us, you will never lose us, and that we are yours forever, and eternal life begins now. God, help us see ourselves through the sandals of the disciples, not through the crowd sitting on the grass demanding more, You've already given us more than we ever deserved. You are the bread of life that's come down from heaven. Help us take that to heart. Help us process in our lives, what does it mean to never hunger or thirst again? What kind of bread makes you not thirsty? <laughs> that's again, that always makes me thirsty. This bread doesn't. Help us chew on that this week. For those of you that are here today, and I've talked so much about identifying with the disciples, not the crowds. But you would say, you know what? If I'm honest of just kind of where I'm at in this journey of, of knowing who Jesus is and responding to the gospel, I'm more like the crowd today. I've, I've not responded in faith. I have not believed that Jesus is who this passage today tells us that he is. And I want you to know in the same way that Jesus showed compassion, love, and patience, and that's who he still is today. He's been that way with every single one of us. And he offers you today this opportunity to change that, to change your seat with the crowds to come stand with the disciples. And it begins by A, admitting. Admitting what the, the crowds couldn't. What must we do to do the works of God? It's admitting I can do nothing to do the works of God. I can do nothing to make myself presentable, acceptable to God. Admit that you're a sinner who needs a savior. Be believe. Believe that Jesus is the bread of life. Believe that Jesus is the one of a kind son of God that this passage in John has demonstrated him to be today. Doesn't take more information, it just takes a response of faith. See is choose. Choose to say, Jesus, I put my faith not in what I can do, but in what you've done. And I wanna live my life following your example. I'm gonna tell you today, you could not give your mom a better gift than responding in faith to the gospel that she has been praying over your life. God, we love you. Thank you for moms who love us. Thank you for a God who loves us infinitely more. And thank you so much for including us as your disciples. You've never left us. You'll never lose us. And we're so glad to know it. We love you and we pray in his mighty name. Amen.